Let me invite you to take your Bibles today. We're still in between studies, so we've been doing a few standalone uh, messages until we get back into a series. We'll start the book of Esther um, later on in the month, Lord willing, but uh, excuse me, not Esther, but Ezra uh, later on in the month. So today we're going to look at the uh, book of Proverbs, the first chapter. And I simply want to talk to you today about wisdom living. Wisdom living in the book of Proverbs, and I just would like to preface my remarks by asking you, what really guides your life? What really, what really gives direction to your life? What really forms your values, your characters, your views, your opinions? What are the truths or who are the voices or what is the literature that really drives the way we think, the way we behave, the way we believe, the way we parent our children, the way we treat our spouse, the way we handle our stewardship, our financial dollars? What are, the, what are the elements that speak into our lives or who are the voices that speak into our lives that form our view? I trust that it is God and that it is God's Word, but for many in this world, uh, it is not. And we want to look at wisdom living today to encourage all of us to let God and His Word to be that guiding force in our life. The Bible says, Lord, help us to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. And I pray today that we would learn that from Proverbs chapter 1. Notice with me the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, or some translations say prudence, to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain to wise counsels, to understand a proverb and interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So may God add his blessings today as we look at wisdom living. Proverbs provides wise words that lead to wise living. Let me say that again. Proverbs gives us wise words. And if we will take them off the page and put them into our heart, it leads to wise living. God has designed these to prepare us for the troubles of life before they ever come to us. He has designed these in a way to be preemptive strikes, if you will, that just before trouble comes or hardship arises, that we are equipped by having these Proverbs in our lives. It has been said that just as the book of Psalms leads us in our devotional life toward God, that the book of Proverbs leads us in our practical life as we look around and we see the struggles and the, and the difficulties in life and we learn to make sense out of those struggles. Because the Proverbs, they challenge, they convict, they instruct, they guide, they lead, they direct, and as you're walking in your faith journey, we need the guidance of God. I had read that uh, Dr. Billy Graham, for some 50 years in his ministry, uh, 
that every day he read a chapter in the book of Proverbs. I know other ministers that have made that part of their spiritual formation, that every day they'll read a chapter in the book of Proverbs. Now, uh, Proverbs is 31 chapters long, and if you can read a chapter every day in Proverbs, you'll have it read in a month. And if you do that every month, you would have read through the book of Proverbs uh, 12 times every year. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way uh, to learn to grow and to have wisdom living as part of your life? So let me challenge you to consider that. Now, as you look through these opening verses, what you find is that it doesn't read like a narrative, so I can't preach it that way. You know, I love preaching the narratives because I love telling the stories and unfolding those stories as the Scripture unfolds them. But this doesn't preach that way because it's not written that way. Instead of a narrative, what you have here are a series of wise sayings, kind of a collection of sayings that took some 3,000 years, or it was about 3,000 years ago when they were composed, most of them by King Solomon, but a few of them by some other people. So it's not stories that you read when you go through Proverbs. You get these wise sayings, these truisms. These nuggets that have short staccato sayings that have long experience behind them. And they really give us a great deal of wisdom for living. Again, they are very practical. They're very timeless. They're very relevant. And they tell us what godly living looks like. Now let me say that again. Don't miss, miss that. They tell us what godly living really looks like. They tell you how life is supposed to work. What life is supposed to look like, they're not necessarily promises, but they are life principles. Let me give you a few. Hebrew, uh, Proverbs eleven twenty nine: He that troubles his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be the servant of the wise at heart. Proverbs fifteen sixteen: Better a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure in turmoil. Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 27, 3, a stone is heavy and sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So you can see it's not in story form. It's part of what's called wisdom literature, and it's given to us a phrase at a time, a truth at a time, a proverb at a time that'll be like a seed that can plant in our heart that will grow and flourish. It is believed by many that Proverbs served as the curriculum as Solomon would write this, that it served as the curriculum that the young men would use as they were being trained to serve in the courts of King Solomon's palace. But nonetheless, what I want to do today is I want us to look at this opening few passages of Proverbs, and I want us to discover how the wise person is an individual who follows God and loves God and lives for God, and then the person is contrasted with the foolish person who does not follow God. Now, it doesn't get any simpler than this. Two choices, the wise and the foolish. One follows God, one does not. And I want you to come down on the side today of being a person who's going to follow God. Now, I know many of you do that because I think the fact that you're here this morning shows that you have a desire to follow God. The fact that you support the work of the church and you, you love your church family and you love the God of this church, uh, that shows me and tells me that you're interested in wisdom living. But there are times in our lives that 
that, uh, that even the most mature Christian can make foolish decisions. Proverbs helps us not to make those decisions because when we do make those foolish decisions, the backwash of that can take a long time to be corrected, all right? So we want it to be preemptive and to guide us in such a way that we do not make foolish decisions. So look how it opens up. It opens up by revealing the author. He says, it is the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. He says that again in chapter 10. He says it again in chapter 25. And he says it again in chapter 31. Perhaps even more than that, uh, if, you, if, you, if you believe that maybe King Lemuel and Solomon were one and the same, and I certainly do believe that. Uh, he was also known as Jedediah in the Bible, and he has a number of different titles in which he was given. But uh, he reiterates the fact that these Proverbs were written, were written by the world's wisest man. You know, Solomon wrote uh, the book of the Song of Solomon when he was a young man. The, the scriptures tell us that he fell in love. He fell madly in love with a Shulamite woman. And he just loved her so much that he wrote the book of Song of Solomon as a, as a kind of a love story for her and uh, kind of gives us a model for how we're to love our spouse. In fact, you've probably seen this many times and are aware of this, but sometimes a husband and a wife may start out on different spectrums, and he's over here and she's over here, uh, or as they're dating or as they get engaged, and uh, the only time their lives intersect is when they get married at the wedding, and their lives form kind of an X. It starts out here, they intersect at the wedding, and then they live their lives kind of far apart. And then if they're not careful, they get farther and farther and farther. And what God really wants us to do as we start out maybe at different places and then our lives intersect as we get married, it turns into to a vertical uh, shape right to, to, to the Lord. And that as a husband and a wife, we grow and we mature together and we love the Lord together. That's the wise person who leads their wise marriage. So Solomon is madly in love with a Shulamite woman and he writes Song of Solomon as a love story for her. And then as he's an old man, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and he really looks back with a lot of regret, and he says all of life is vanity. But finally, he came to this realization in Ecclesiastes, he said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, this is a whole duty of man. So he does Song of Solomon as a young man, Ecclesiastes as an old man, and in his median adult years, he writes these proverbs, these truisms. There's words that will give to you and I wisdom living. So let me give you a few things to jot down this morning. First of all, I want you to notice God's purpose in the Proverbs. Verse 2 says, to know wisdom and instruction. Let me just give you these while I'm here. There's five what's called purpose clauses given in these first verses. You might want to underline them as you go. Verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction. That would be one of them. Again, in the last part of verse number two, to perceive the words of understanding. Look in verse three, to receive the wisdom of instruction. And then look at the next one in verse four, to give, the King James uses the word subtlety, it is the word prudence, to give prudence or wisdom to the simple. Go all the way down to verse number six and you'll see the next one, and that is to understand the proverb. So what is God's purpose in giving us these. He wants to use this as a roadmap, as a, as a GPS, if you will, that'll guide our lives 
and to wisdom living, to guide us in the right path. Look at that word wisdom in verse number two, to know wisdom. In the Hebrew, it is the word hoikmah. And it, and it was used for somebody who had a unique skill, maybe a craftsman, and he was a great woodworker, and he was able to take a, a, an unsightly piece of wood and turn that into a beautiful artifact or something like that. That craftsman would be known as having hoikma, or a person who can sing musically, and they've just mastered the music scale, and they can hit the notes effortlessly. That person is known to have hoikma. Or maybe a person who has some other ability or skill, and they've been able to master a particular skill. That person is known to have hoikma, or wisdom. And when we apply that to how we live our lives, Solomon is saying, if you have wisdom living, doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. It doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. What it does mean is that you're going to have the hoikma. You're going to have the, the skill, the wisdom, the ability to navigate through life without hitting all of the minefields and all of the traps that the devil has laid out for you. Wisdom living, and God's purposes in giving us this, is to help us avoid the struggles or to avoid the traps and then to help others do the same thing. So let me ask you, how, you're do, how are you doing in that regard? How are you doing in avoiding the pitfalls and avoiding the, the landmines that the devil lays out for us? Or how are we doing in helping others avoid those landmines? Stories told about a, a man who was a, a pilot and he was flying a small single-engine airplane uh, toward a country airport or a county airport many, many years ago. And it's a true story, and he was behind schedule when he arrived, and it was just beginning to get dark, and the sun was starting to go down over the mountain range, and it sh cast a deep shadow across the, the runway. And it was just a small airport. There was nobody on duty at the airport. The plane that he was flying did not have any kind of landing lights or any assistance like that. You know, of course, many of you know my son is a pilot, and, and he talks about he'll fly into some of these little small airports, and he has to click his, something on the instrument panel a couple of times, and it'll cause the runway lights to come on so he can see how to, how to land. I don't know much about that, but anyway, that's what he tells me. So this particular guy had no access to that kind of technology at the time. So it was dark. And he made a pass around the airport, and nobody there. He's all by himself and realizes that he is in trouble. He makes another pass and is not comfortable with landing, but every pass that he makes, it got darker and darker until finally he could not see anything toward the ground. So in his plane, he started circling, and he circled, and he circled, and he circled, and he circled the airport for two hours, not knowing what to do. And uh, knowing that in a little while he was going to run out of fuel and no doubt probably be plunging to his death. But one of the neighbors that lived close by to the airport heard this plane continually circling around and around and around. And he put two and two together and he thought, this pilot is in trouble. He gets in his pickup truck and he rides out to the airfield. And he begins with his headlights on high, going up and down the runway and up and down the runway and up and down the runway, trying to show the pilot where the runway is. And then he parks at the far end of the runway to shine his lights as far down the runway as he can. And he is able to help this pilot safely land his plane. And had it not been for him, the pilot probably would have faced, no doubt would have faced certain death. 
the Proverbs are given to us to kind of shine that light for us, to give us that direction so we know how to land our plane, if you will. God's purposes for us is to know wisdom, to know His wisdom, and let that wisdom lead us. So that's His purpose in the Proverbs. Look at, secondly, the practice in the Proverbs. And when I talk about practice, many times we think about church life as, as um, moralistic preaching, that, that uh, true biblical preaching is preaching about every sin in the world. And I don't think that's true biblical preaching, but I do think we have a mandate from God to call sin exactly what it is, and that's sin. But there's the, the worry of what's called moralistic preaching is that if we, if we try to live a clean life, that that's good enough. You'll never be able to leave a clean, lead a clean enough life to, to, to merit God's favor. Only the Lord Jesus Christ did that. So all of our preaching really has to be gospel-centered, meaning, meaning that Jesus did what we would never be able to accomplish on our own. He had the perfect life, and we're all going to fall, fall short. Doesn't mean that we don't strive to be like Jesus. Certainly we do. But this is not moralism, or this is not moralistic preaching. It has its roots in the gospel because he begins by saying, it is the fear of the Lord. It is not being good, it's not worrying that God's going to zap you if you're not good. What is it? The starting place is with the fear of the Lord. Look in verse number four at what he says. These are given, this is his practice, to give, to give prudence, to give um, wisdom to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. It is the picture Really, not to be insulting to anyone, it is the picture of a younger person who may not have the experience of life lessons that an older person would have, and they still have a lot to learn. I mean, we all have a lot to learn, but particularly here it's for a younger person who is still inexperienced. So he says the book of Proverbs was given to a young man to help you become wise. But in greater application, it is certainly given to all of us because we're all a work in progress, right? And we all want to become wise. How many of you know people who it seems as though, if you've known them any length of time in, at all, they continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again? Sometimes people can, can make the same foolish mistakes over and over again. They get into one, one toxic relationship after another toxic relationship after another toxic relationship. They may say hurtful things to apologize, and then, then it happens over and over and over again. Proverbs, God's purpose behind that is to help us to break that cycle in our practice, not to repeat the same old stuff, not to get called in this vortex of, of living life where we repeat the same old draining nonsense in life day after day after day, but God wants to cause us to rise to a higher plane of wisdom living. They give, these words give wisdom, prudence to the simple. Look what he says in verse 5, and, and notice this, a wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding shall attain to wise counsel to understand the proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. What, is, what does he mean? He is saying that as he gives us this wisdom literature, a person who can be classified as wise person is one who listens to this. They don't just pass it off with a sweep of the hand and think, I can do better, but they increase their learning because they are hearing the word. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by what, church? That's right, the Word of God. And as God's Word is proclaimed, it builds our faith, it strengthens us, it helps us know the Lord better, and helps us even know ourselves better. So the wise person is one who listens. And as we listen to God's wisdom, we put that wisdom to practice in our lives. It's kind of like uh, two men were going down the road, in, uh, down the sidewalk in Manhattan, New York. One of them was a, was a man who had lived in New York all of his life. He, he had been born there. He was raised there. Um, and um, the other man was a Native American, and he was raised uh, in the, in the, uh, in, out in the West, and he was raised in a rural environment, but nonetheless, they became friends, and they were walking down the sidewalk in Manhattan. And in the background, there were cars that were going up and down the road, Horns were blaring, sirens back in the distance. There were, there were people talking. There was traffic noise, all kinds of hustle and bustle that you can only imagine or you may know in reality if you've been to a place like New York. And suddenly the Indian guy, he just stops and he said, listen, he said, I hear a cricket. And the guy said, there's no way you can hear a cricket in all of this noise pollution going on around us. And he said, yeah, I, I hear a cricket. And he stopped, and he, he bent over, and there in the crack of the sidewalk, sure enough, was a cricket. And the Indian said, you see, I've, I've been raised outside all of my life. And my ears are tuned in to listening for things like this. He said, but that's not impressive. You want to see something really impressive? He takes out a quarter out of his pocket and flips it in the air. And when that quarter hits the sidewalk, everybody on the sidewalk stopped to look to see where it came from. That's what they were tuned into. And that's what they were listening for. Solomon said that the wise person is tuned in to what God has to say so that our lives would, would be led in wisdom. You see, again, we're all a work in progress. None of us have arrived. We're all going through this sanctification process to hopefully become more like Jesus. We're all at different places in our lives. But the point is, the mature get more mature the immature hopefully move toward maturity, and that we all, hopefully, as, as we mature to be more like Christ, that we become more like Him and can not only land our plane, but we can help others do the same. So that's God's purpose in the Proverbs. And that's what He means by the practice of our Proverbs, to listen, to zero in on what God has to say. And then number three, let's look at the person, God's person in the Proverbs. If you're listening, say Amen. Look in verse number 7, if you will. Notice the person. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. <clears throat> but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, if you were to look for a common theme in Proverbs, this would be what's called the big idea of Proverbs. This would be the theme verse. This is kind of the, 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 the thesis statement or the purpose statement for the entire book. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Two kinds of people, wise, foolish. And God, fearing God is the beginning for the wise person. That's where it starts. But for the unwise person, they don't fear the Lord. What does it mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Listen, it does not mean that God is mean. 
It doesn't mean that God is some kind of an ogre who is looking for an opportunity that as soon as you mess up, that he's going to get you for messing up. Listen, God has gone to great extremes to lay everything out to bring you into his family. And he's not looking to keep you out of his family. Friends, he's looking to bring you into his family. Amen, church? He's not looking to, to, to keep anybody out. But the Bible says, whosoever will can come and drink of the water of life. And it doesn't matter your color, your skin. It doesn't matter the background of your life. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are. God welcomes you into his forever family. And as we become in, come into his family, the Bible says we become new creatures, new creations. We are, we're slowly changed and, 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 and molded into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to fear the Lord does not mean that we have to be afraid that if we step out of line that God is somehow going to kill us or, or zap us. He could. And we probably deserve that. I do, that. I do many times deserve that. What does fear in the Lord really mean? Now listen carefully. It really means, to fear the Lord really means that we honor and we respect God by the way we live our lives. Now, you know, when I jotted that down in my notes, I thought I had to have gotten that from somewhere. Because I'm not a profound thinker, but that is pretty profound. That really to fear God, to fear God means we honor and respect God with our lives. Do you remember one of the commandments, one of the Ten Commandments says, honor your father and mother. How do you honor your father and mother? It does not, it does not mean that as you move into adulthood that you still are somehow required emotionally to do everything that they want you to do or they expect you to do or demand that you do or any of the pressure that it might ever be put on you to do whatever. You honor your mother and your father by living a life that is pleasing to God. That's what it means to honor your parents. You live your life in a way that brings glory to God. So to fear God is to live your life in respect and in awe to live your life in reverence to the Lord. It is understanding who God is. And when you understand who He is, that you want to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Uh, you may, may, many of you may remember Henry Blackaby. He's passed away now. But Henry Blackaby uh, wrote uh, Experience in God and another, another, uh, a number of other discipleship curriculums over the years. But Henry Blackaby says this. Listen carefully. He says, think about what God is like. He is powerful. He created an entire universe from nothing. He is all-knowing. He is aware of your every action, your every mood, your hopes, your dreams, your every thought. God is timeless. He has always existed and He will always exist. He created time. He's not bound by it as we are. So complete is his love for us that he gave up his only son to be humiliated, tortured, and murdered to pay for our sins. It seems inconceivable that he longs for a close personal relationship with each of us, the very creatures who sent Jesus to the cross. This knowledge ought to make us tremble, not in the fear that God would hurt us, but in the reverence of his magnificence. When we begin to understand who God is, what He has done for us, and what He is really like, we have started on the path to wisdom. Solomon said it best, only a fool 
would refuse such an opportunity, for to be wise is to know God. End of quote. To be wise and to have wisdom living, it starts with the fear of the Lord. Listen, it is a, it is a biblical view of who God is. Now listen carefully. Many people don't have a correct view of God because they don't have a biblical view of God. And because they see God in an incorrect light, they see the world incorrectly. They may see their marriage incorrectly. They may see others incorrectly. They may even see themselves incorrectly. But it all starts with a biblical view of God. Who is God and what is God like? And when you have that biblical view of God, listen, then you see everything in life through the lens of God. We call it a biblical worldview. When we get God right in our minds and we begin to understand what he's like from the Scripture, who he is as the creator of the universe, what he is like as the redeemer who, who saved us and lifted us up out of the miry clay, then we begin to see the world the way God sees the world. We begin to see others the way God sees others. We begin to see ourselves the way God sees who we are. But it begins with a biblical worldview. Now listen, we are the most educated generation that the history of the world has ever seen. The, the, the technology that we have is unbelievably incredible. And... Uh, it is just a technology generation that you and I are living in. And it's an incredibly educated generation that you and I are a part of. But listen, if your education or your learning or your worldview draws you away from God, then you're learning from the wrong teachers. You know that? If your education or your learning or your development teaches more independence on self and less dependence on God, you're learning the wrong things. The greatest thing in life that we can do is to get all the education that we can, but filter that through what God's Word has to say. That is true wisdom living, because that helps us take all the facts and put the facts together in a way that fits the way God wants them to. Our society today is highly educated, but people have a lot of knowledge and they know a lot of facts. But you can look at life. Doesn't it appear as though those pieces never really seem to come together for some people? A lot of education, a lot of smarts, a lot of intellect, a lot of brains. But you got to know what to do with that. And you can only do that if we know God and we have a biblical worldview of who God is. And listen, if you take God out of society, what you'll get is chaos. You take him out of your marriage, you'll have a chaotic marriage. Take him out of your home, you have a chaotic home. He's not welcome in the church, you have a chaotic church. He's not welcome wherever you are. You, the result of that is chaos. It's always been that way, and it always will be that way. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and one of my favorite quotes, I've given you this many times, from C.S. Lewis, he says this, Education without values, as useful as it seems, serves rather to make a man a more clever devil. And isn't that true? That education without values, education without God, learning without the framework of God serves only to make one a more clever devil. You see, the, the foundation of all true knowledge is relationship 
with the God who spoke this world into existence. In fact, if you look in verse number 7, you'll look at that word begin, and he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is, it is foundational. That the foundational principles of life for wisdom living is to have awe and respect for God in your life. Listen, a person is not wise because they got all the answers, but because they're searching for God. A person is not wise because because they've got all the string of degrees behind their name, but they're wise because they want to know God in their lives. That's true biblical godly wisdom. It's recognizing he's God and, and we're not. Jesus said this. He said, a wise man builds his house on the rock, and when the rains come, the winds blow and beat on that house, it will not fall. But the foolish man builds his house on the sand, and when the rains come, And beat on that house, it'll fall, and great will be the fall of it. So in wisdom living, he contrasts the foolish and the wise. So the wise person is one who fears the Lord. But very quickly, look at the contrast of the foolish person who does not fear the Lord. Listen carefully. Here's what Solomon would say, and then I'm going to give you the verses. The foolish person does not realize how their actions may hurt others or God. Let me say that again. The foolish person does not realize how their actions or their words or their inaction may hurt others or may hurt God. The foolish person is unconcerned about the consequence that living away from God brings into their lives. Tina and I were watching a program the other night about the guy who started Alcoholic Anonymous. And it's an, it's an older, older show, but it was, it, was, it was interested and good to see what kind of hold substance abuse had on this guy who eventually started AA. And somewhere along the way, I think they made this statement as he tried to get better and they would, he would relapse and then he would make a promise that he was not going to drink anymore and then, it, then he would relapse again. And then you, you, know, you know how sometimes addiction works. A person might have good intention and they really want to break the hold of that and they really want to defeat that demon, but it has such a hold that sometimes a person struggles to get to that place. And somewhere along the line they said that when a person is struggling with addiction, that oftentimes it has, it has a, a sphere of at least four people that draws them into that addiction with them. It may be a spouse. It may be a spouse and children. It may be a parent if it's a teenager who's dealing with the addiction, whatever it might be. But we know that it's real and that it struggles, uh, that, that those struggles are real. And sometimes a person dealing with that is unaware or unconcerned with how much their choices hurt other people or maybe even hurt God. Let me show you and give you a few characteristics of what Solomon says is a foolish person. We'll take about five minutes and we're we're going to close. First of all, just let me show you these. Turn over to chapter 12 and look in verse number 15. If you're listening, say amen. Chapter 12, verse 15. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot this down. Number one, a foolish person, Solomon would identify him as being very headstrong. Chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkens to the counsel is wise. Look at that. 
The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. He's very headstrong about it. Look in verse number 16. I'll give you the second one. The foolish person, his life is disruptive. Verse 16. A fool's wrath is presently known. But a prudent man covers the shame. Notice, a fool's wrath is presently known. He is disruptive. And life for the foolish person, wherever they go, you can just about be sure, because they've not learned wisdom living, they're going to be disruptive wherever they go in their lifestyle. Turn over a couple of pages to chapter 15 and look in verse number 5. And you can write down that the foolish person is contentious. Verse 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regards reproof is prudent. When most people consider it honorable and good to heal an argument and to solve an argument, here is a person who likes to pour gasoline on the flame, and they love the drama of life. Go over to chapter 27. We'll just look at a couple of more. Chapter 27, and you can write down the words that he is habitual. Habitual. Chapter 27, verse 22. Though you should, King James uses the word, bray a fool. Uh, some translations say pound. Though you should pound a fool in mortar among the wheat with a pestle, yet, you will, not his foolish, yet will not his foolishness depart from him. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, you cannot pound foolishness out of a fool. It has to be a work of God where we develop that, that understanding of the fear of God and want to have His guidance in our lives. Proverbs 24, or excuse me, Proverbs 4.3 says this, and we'll close. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. So wisdom living, wisdom living, you see God's purposes in Proverbs, God's practice in Proverbs. God's person in Proverbs. What is the person that he wants you to be? He wants us to be people who live by the book. In fact, remember I told you these are very practical? Listen, let me just close by giving you a couple of practical things in life. As you guard your life. A young person who's here today, and I don't want to point you out, by saying young people, but it's true for all of us, especially our young people, because of the age in which they live. I want to challenge you. Go through your playlist on your phone. And if you have songs there that have vulgar lyrics, delete those. If you have songs in your playlist that are suggestive, delete those. Because what you're doing is you're allowing a particular artist to really speak into your heart and into your mind truths that are antithetical to the gospel. And that can get into your life and get you to begin thinking that way. I would encourage you to look at your Netflix account and to see if there's sources of entertainment that you choose that, that Hollywood is speaking negative things and ugly things into your life. And I would say, don't put that in your life. Guard, guard your life. That's what the wise person does. It's like build a hedge around your life. And don't just let anybody speak into your life. Don't just let Hollywood and the news media speak into your life. Go to your internet search history and make sure that you have visited websites 
that uh, would not bring negative things into your life or ungodly or unspiritual things in your life. That's, listen, that's wisdom living at a practical level because as we do that, listen, what we're doing is we're guarding our lives and we're really demonstrating that I so respect and honor and reverence God that I want to illustrate that by how I live my life to Him. And I think you'll find that as we do that and God forms us and shapes us more into the image of His Son, life will be so much more meaningful and enjoyful. And you'll be able not only to land your own plane, but to help others do the same thing. Amen, church? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word that is true, that is alive, that is powerful, that speaks to, to every crevice of our lives. And God, we recognize, I recognize, I have work to do. When I think about these principles in your Proverbs, I want to live a life that is a life of wisdom. And I want to grow in my wisdom to you. And God, I want our church family to do the same. But wisdom actually begins when we recognize who you are and that you sent your son to die for us. And there may be someone here today who have never came to the place where they have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary to be the payment for their sins. And they want to come today and they want to be a Christian and say, Pastor Darrell, maybe I don't understand it all or, or I still have a lot of questions, but I believe that Jesus died for me, that he rose again and I want to ask Jesus to come into my life. God, if there's one like that, would they come during this invitation? Or maybe others who want to unite with our church family or others who just want to come and pray for wisdom living. So take this time and use it to draw people to you in Jesus' name, amen.